in Sunday school, we did a teaching uh, on the, the Great White Throne Judgment, and we're getting towards the end of the Foundations Number 2 book, and all we have left in that book is going to be the Judgment Seat of Christ, but uh, Alberto had taught, taught last week on judgment just in general, and uh, it was wonderful, and the Lord had given me a scripture, I mean a sermon, based on judging and so forth, and, and, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want you, if you would, to open with me your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to look at a lot of scriptures, some I'm just going to quote that I have written down up here, some I'll, we'll turn to and read, but I would suggest on so many of these sermons, but this, this would be a good one for sure, to take some notes, if nothing else, just write down the scriptures, okay, so where you can go back and when this topic comes up again, and it will, it'll come up when you're talking to somebody, counseling with somebody, praying with somebody, somebody calls you on the phone, another believer, whatever it may be, the subject is going to come up, okay, about judging and so forth. And just to have some scriptures and to be prepared. And y'all, I, I know I, I say it all the time, I know that you know it, you say it to me all the time, but our standard has to be the Word of God. It cannot be anything else, or it's not really a standard. It's just out there. It's moving. It's shifting. But let's, let's look, and this is one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, where Jesus speaks in John cha in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. And that's, that's, that scripture right there is some scriptures that that's the only, only, I mean, that's one of the scriptures, some people, the only one that they know. And uh, even people that are lost seem to know that scripture. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote? That will be like a speck, a little spot of dust, a little speck that is in your brother's eye. But considerest not the beam, and that's a beam, it's a large log, that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now there's a great need. We're going to come back uh, to this Scripture, and you can keep that one in mind all day. All morning during this sermon, keep that passage in mind. There is a great need for the people of God to understand. The world's going to be the world. The world's going to misunderstand what it misunderstands. And because it's lost, it needs the Lord. The Spirit of truth would guide them if they would come to Christ. Okay, But there's a great need for the people of God within our churches today, blood-bought saints of God, to understand and exercise the godly, uh, godly spiritual judgment. This scripture, this passage does say, judge not lest that you be not judged. Then it goes on to explain with the type of judgment, the measure, the degree, and the type of judgment that you give, it's going to be judged back unto you. Then it talks about hypocrisy. So if you look at the whole five verses, it appears that the real thrust or the thought behind it is more the hypocrisy than a forbidding to judge. 
he was probably dealing with a lot of people that just judged, were around judging everybody, everything, as being inferior to themselves and them being more superior, whether it's an intellect, spiritual, whatever it may have been. And so he was saying, look, you better deal with your own life first. Okay? That to me is the overall thought here. But uh, it's a, it's, there's such a need in our day. I think it's in every Christian day, but the more, if you consider that the Bible says that the end times characteristic is going to be a falling away and the seducing spirits and deceptions and false doctrines and false... There has to be, there's a great need in our day for sure for believers to be able to rightly judge. Okay, to rightly judge. So we're going to talk about right judgment. To know what, what type of judgment is of God and is biblical. Because there is one. Only one, okay? It is of God and it's biblical. And to know what type of judgment is not of God. There are judgments that are not of the Lord. That are not biblical, Okay? And believers can be guilty of it just like an unbeliever and judging in the wrong way. The wrong motive, the wrong heart, the wrong standard by which we judge. It could all be wrong. It could be wrong even though I'm a Christian, I could do it wrong. Alright? So we need to understand what the Word of God says. I believe that many Christians today have, have uh, come to wrongly believe that Christians are not to judge. That's almost like their slogan. It's almost their motive. Anything controversial... Anything that speaks to their sin or uh, we're going to talk about what was preached in the sermon, was it of God or not? Anything. Christians are not to judge. And they may use that Scripture right there to do it. That's not. If you take that Scripture in context, it's very important that we take things in context and that passage in context with other Scriptures through the Bible. Many of which, not all, we don't have time, many of which we're going to look at this morning. Okay? So, just to throw that little dogma, that little phrase or slogan, Christians aren't to judge. That statement is not true. Christians are to judge rightly and not judge wrongly. But we absolutely must judge, okay? And I would say, and I know this is not what Jesus was speaking about in this passage, but He said, you do greatly err not knowing the Scriptures. If somebody says Christians aren't to judge, then they're not really knowing their Bible and understanding it. And I believe because of this belief that Christians aren't to judge, that people are not fully, Christian people, are not fully walking in the discernment that God's given them, and they're not exercising that. They're not uh, exercising a biblical judgment. Could you imagine uh, if we had, even just in, a, in our natural society, our civil society, if we didn't have courts to bring people to to decide, is the law being upheld here or not? Was somebody a victim? Was somebody... You know, if we didn't have judges and a standard to go by, it would just be chaos. There would, it would be like in the book of Judges where it says there, were, there was no king and everybody did what was right and did what? In their own eyes. Can you imagine with this many people just in our city or just in this room if we all just did what was right in our own eyes? Our own personal intellect, our own humanity. I think this is right. You ever seen those billboards? I've seen them before uh, for campaigns, you know, for judges running for uh, election. And they have a camp campaign uh, slogan up there and a picture of the candidate running for judge. I've seen it here. And they say, straight from the heart. 
They want their judgment to be straight from the heart. That sounds warm and fuzzy and good, but I don't want it to be straight from their heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, try the hearts and reins of men. And so, I want that judge to judge according to the law. Because the law would be the same for you and for me and for that judge and for anybody if it's upheld and if it's applied rightly. So I don't want to judge straight from my heart. To me, that speaks of emotions. That speaks to me of what that judge thinks is right and how they would like to be lenient or how they'd like to be strict. There might be a place for that in sentencing or something like that. But in the law itself, we need to judge according to the law. Right? It shows the, 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 the scales with the balances and the justice is blind. That's a good thing because it's not going to discriminate based on anything else. And so uh, when God's people fail to judge where judgment is needed, it's needed in a lot of areas, even small things, it's going to greatly affect our churches, our individual lives, our families, our homes, our interactions with each other. It's going to affect about every area of our lives from the church and from the leadership on down to, to one another, to our very homes when nobody's watching. When we fail to judge rightly and biblically to exercise what God's given us, it's going to bring chaos. It's going to bring compromise. Now just think about it. Fail to judge something. That sermon was that just preached, was that of God? That statement that the pastor just made, was that biblical? Was that right? Does it line up with the rest of the Word of God? Well, let's not judge that. Can you imagine where we would be? Where I would be? I want you to judge me, but I want you to judge me rightly. Okay? According to the Word of God. And, and we ought to be able to judge without it getting into uh, little personal things. But without it, y'all, without this, there'd be chaos, there'd be compromise, there'd be division, there would be condoning and excusing of sin. There would be all kinds of things. There would be worldliness, etc. In our, in our lives and in our churches. I believe this is uh, because so many people in our church don't know that they actually have a biblical mandate to judge. Every believer. Not just the pastor. Not just the shepherd. Not just the associate pastor and so forth. That biblical mandate to judge is for every believer. He has made us kings and priests unto our gods. Okay? And He's called us to do that and to be that. It's not only permissible for us to judge, it is necessary for us to judge. Alright? So I want you to look at uh, John. Y'all turn with me to John chapter 7. I'm going to give you what I believe is one of the clearest, to me, it helps me the most, the clearest single verse uh, on judging for the Christian. This is not it, but I want to start here in John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. Listen, He says, for He would not walk in Jewry, that would have been where the Jewish people were, because the Jews sought to kill Him. Now that's just a fact. Jesus knew that the Jews wanted to kill Him. And so He wouldn't walk in this area where they were. This is getting later on in His ministry. Okay, Because they sought to kill Him. Period. Alright, skip down. The verse uh, 19, Jesus spoke, speaking to the, uh, the Jews, said, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do you go about to kill me? Next verse. The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who's going, uh, who's going about to kill thee? 
Now, that to me just says, this, I don't know why the Lord gave me this particular example, but that just to, to me says everything's not what it seems and appears. And we need to judge with spiritual judgment. The Bible tells us Jesus wouldn't walk in this certain area, maybe where the Jewish leadership and so forth was, because they wanted to kill Him. Then He says in verse 19, why do you go about to kill Me? And they said, basically you're crazy, you have a devil. Who's, who's trying to kill you? Now, if somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Either they were trying to kill Jesus or they weren't. Right? Things are not always what they appear. The truth is that no matter how these Pharisees or Jews that were around Jesus at the time might have smiled because all the people were watching them at Jesus, in their hearts they wanted to kill Him. Behind the scenes when nobody was around, they were making plans. How can we take Him? Well, let's not do it on the Sabbath and you know, let's not do it here about the feast. There might be an uproar of the people. And so, but then they'd smile to Jesus. What is that saying? Everything is not what it seems. So there is a great need for judgment from the Holy Ghost and from the Word of God to judge the situation. Jesus wasn't confused. He knew they wanted to kill Him. He told Him, you want to kill Me. What are you talking about? Who wants to kill you? You're crazy. You have a devil. It's not what it appears. And we need to know everything's not what it appears. Satan is a deceiver. He is a master at deception. And even within our churches and Christian people and Christian books and Christian everything, there can be a picture with a big smile on his face, but it's not what it appears. It may be, but it may not be. So how do we know? We need to be able to judge. And we need to be able to judge rightly and maturely and according to the Word of God and be filled with the Spirit and be led by the Spirit and have the mind of the Spirit. And Jesus wasn't confused. He saw right through it. I might have been standing there and say, well, Jesus, they said they didn't, want, they didn't want to kill you. Are you sure they want to kill you? That's what I might have said. We need to know. Jesus knew, is my point. And uh, to me, the, the, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man. Things are not always what they seem. The ends of that way that seems right to man without the Lord is death. That's what it says. It seemed right all the way along until I died and I went to hell. Then I realized it wasn't right. Well, there was warnings all along the way, but you didn't listen because it seemed right to you and you made yourself your own judge of your life and your own one to determine your future as opposed to hearing what the Gospel says. That the wages of sin is death and all of sin has come short of the glory of God. And you're going the way that seems right thinking you'll in the end somehow be okay. But the Bible says if you don't repent, you're going to perish. So it seemed right all the way till it was too late. Now they go, I was wrong. Too late, Right? And so, uh, here to me is the clearest Scripture. It helps me the most. It's in the same chapter, verse 24. So he has this dealing with the Pharisees that um, you know, they want to kill Him and so forth. And they said, you have a devil. Look what Jesus says. Just kind of out of the blue almost. But it wasn't out of the blue. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So if anybody in Matthew 7, and that's the only verse they have is verse 1, and says, judge not lest you be judged. And they, they build their whole doctrine just on that Scripture and no other. And they need to know this Scripture as well. And other, others that we're going to look at. Judge not according to the appearance. Then here's what tells us, but judge righteous judgment. He's telling us here to judge. 
So you have to be able to put the passages together <laughs> with other passages and see what is the Lord really saying about judgment? And what is the Lord really saying to His people about judgment? And even judging other people or doctrines or things or whatever it may be. He's saying judge righteous judgment. I want to give a couple of definitions. You probably know them, but I think it will help. Judgment is almost like a curse word in our day. Oh, you're judging me. Almost like that's a foul word. But it's not. It's maybe because we perverted it in our minds or understanding. The word judge simply means to judge, the verb means to distinguish. It means to determine, to decide, to conclude. Don't we do that every day? You're going to buy groceries and, and you're buying some hamburger meat that expired three weeks ago. You're going to say, I'm not getting that. I don't care if there's a, a penny a pound. I'm not buying that and eating it. Okay, what are we doing? We're judging. We're deciding. We're dis discerning. We're distinguishing. No, that not healthy, not safe, not good. It's not a deal. Okay, I'm not eating the, the jello with the fuzz on it or the pudding with the fuzz that's growing on it in the back of my fridge. I'm judging that that's not good. So we do judge all the time. Right? And we need to. Look at the importance of that. You're going to buy a car. You're going to do anything. We judge. We discriminate. We decide. We distinguish. We conclude. And uh, appearance. When he says, don't judge after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. It means just what you would think it would mean. Appearance. It, has, it says, it seems. This is the definition. To appear or the appearance. To seem. To think. This, our sight. External show. That's exactly actually one of the definitions, an external show. So um, keep that scripture in mind. Highlight John 7, 24. Judge not according to the appearance, to the external show. That's not how we make our decisions. You ever hear, I'm going to kick the tires, I'm going to check under the hood, right? Because boy, it's got a brand new paint job, but the engine might be all rusted out. You need to look and dig a little deeper. Don't judge on the outward appearance. And then he tells us specifically judge righteous judgment. Okay, Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is a wonderful couple little verses here. Matthew 6, 16-18. Now we're talking about the appearance as opposed to, I would say, the reality of it. Moreover, when ye fast, he says, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. Countenance is their, their face, right? The expression on their face. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which, is, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. You see that there's a great difference in God's eyes. Some people are living. He said these Pharisees, not every Pharisee, some became believers. But the majority of the Pharisees that he dealt with and had his run-ins with, okay, he says to my people, my followers, don't, when you fast, don't do it like the Pharisees do it. Why? The Pharisees went around probably looking kind of rough and gruff and kind of maybe wouldn't shave or something for a while and go around uh, and, and look like they had really been struggling hadn't been eaten, maybe hadn't been sleeping, and they was, oh wow, look how spiritual and godly they've been. They must be fasting. Okay? 
And they do it for that specific purpose that they may appear unto men to be fasting. So how can I make myself look to people around me that I'm spiritual, that I'm fasting and having this great spiritual exercise? Here's what I'll do. I won't wash, I won't comb my hair and I won't, I'll just look kind of rough and gruff. And that's kind of, that's what they did. And they had their reward because people did say, wow, you must have been fasting. What a godly man. Okay? They did it for that. They got that. They appeared that way. That's what they wanted. But he says, when you, when you fast, don't do it like that. Don't appear like you're struggling or straining or whatever. Go about your day normally and you have your fast in your heart unto the Lord. However He leads you to fast. However long He leads you to fast. You do that between you and God. That's honoring to the Lord. Your Father, I promise you, He sees it in secret. I may not see that you're fasting. I sure wish the whole church would see how I'm fasting. You know what I mean? It, it shouldn't be that way. How shallow that is. As a, and I can be that way. We all can be that way, right? But to, on the other hand, to say, God, You see, You've led me to do this. You've led me to not broadcast it to others. You know it, and I know it, and I'm going to be content that You know it. And I'm going to be content with whatever reward or blessing comes from this. That secret man of the heart that Peter talks about, that in the eyes of God is well-pleasing and valuable. Okay? And so we see that with the Pharisees. And I'll just read this. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 23, 27 and 8. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, like very pretty whitewashed, freshly painted tombs. Okay? Outwardly, they look perfect. Just been touched up. Put some new flowers in front of them. But are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. He's making the comparisons. Very good one. Okay? Outwardly appear. Seems. External show. Remember our definition of appear. Unto men as righteous, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Well, we've all sinned, but he doesn't just say they were sinners. They wanted to appear righteous, and inwardly they were full of iniquity and hypocrisy. You've heard it. The word hypocrite or hypocrisy in the Greek, it simply means an actor. That is the word. So they give an appearance, I'm a pirate. You know, I'm dressed up like a pirate. I'm a cowboy, you know, in this movie or this play. And I'm going to appear that way. <coughs> but I'm not really that. And you certainly don't want to play those games when it comes to our eternity and the things of God and the spiritual man. That is the inward work of the Lord in His heart by the Holy Spirit. Doing the outward appearance to impress men of my religion or my spiritual state, it gets me nowhere. Nowhere at all. It's of no value. It's vanity. But if I'll come to the Lord, let Him work on my life, what He's doing on the inside will eventually bear fruit and be manifest on the outside. I don't have to be a hypocrite. Okay, now we're getting back to talking about judging, and I wanted to, to look at that because the Lord knew how to judge and knows how to judge. All right? And it's not by the external things. We looked at the Pharisees. They're an easy target, I guess, to look on, but any of us could, could do that at some time. Any of us could be 
of pharisaical or hypocritical at least at any point in our lives, even as born again, spirit filled believers. Now think about these these uh, these Pharisees, for example, that Jesus was rebuking and dealing with. This is not a crook on the street who's trying to con you into giving you his wallet or get, con you into you know what I mean, cheat you out of something and put smooth words. This was somebody uh, lying to you basically in, in the name of the Lord. Right? Pharisees, you're, you have a devil. Who's trying to kill you? This is somebody lying to you in Jesus' name. That's even different than a crook on the street trying to swindle you out of a few hundred dollars or something. And so, uh, they appeared godly and spiritual to men but not to God. And we said earlier, the Lord tries the hearts and reigns. The heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Well, I'll, I'll choose to believe that all men are basically good in their hearts. That's not what the Bible says. So how are you going to live your life based on what the Bible says or what you think? Or what some poet said? There's not this innate goodness in man. There's none good. No, not one. When it comes in God's eyes, uh, uh, an account of men because of our sin and our sinful nature. None that seek after the Lord. So when a pastor or a teacher or a Christian in a Christian setting, in a Christian circle, he preaches or speaks or promotes a lie or preaches or speaks or promotes something that's not sound, that just means healthy, wholesome doctrine, it's not lined up perfectly, it might be partly, it's not lined up perfectly <clears throat> with the Word of God, Oftentimes, the first response by his hearers, and this just shows the immaturity, and I would say the ignorance of so many in the church that are saved, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but their ignorance on this subject. Oftentimes, when somebody's speaking a lie to them or an unsound doctrine, their first response by the hearers is often, but that's brother so-and-so. We know he loves the Lord. That's sister so-and-so. And she's been teaching this Bible study for 35 years. We know she couldn't be wrong. Or I know what they really meant. What they really meant to say was, because I know them so well. Now, I will say this, and I've said it before. They might have made a mistake, okay? But still, I need to be alert and judge it and deal with it. And is it a mistake or is it a pattern? Is it a new movement, a wave? a false move, a false direction, a false doctrine, okay? And oftentimes because Christians don't judge the way they're supposed to according to the Word of God and being led by the Holy Spirit, their first response is an, is an excuse to let the person basically off the hook rather than using the standard and saying, let's look at it, all right? Let's look at it rightly. We have to be careful to that. Uh, sometimes in the name of the Lord... Somebody can be slandering somebody, speaking a lie, okay? Uh, slandering a man's character, speaking a half-truth, gossiping. Any believer can be guilty of it. I can be guilty of it. I have been guilty of sinful things plenty of times since I've been saved. The difference is uh, a believer can, can be guilty of these things, but no believer can practice these things. The Bible says in 1 John, you know, that he that doeth righteousness is righteous. And if we continue in sin, and that's the pattern of our life, then we don't really know the Lord. We're not truly born again. So anybody that is truly saved can commit any of these sins, and even more than once. But we couldn't live a life unrepentant in that. 
justifying it, excusing it. Well, I'm committing adultery, but here's why. And I'm going to excuse it because I'm a pastor and I'm a this and I can do this. I'm just making up something bizarre. You couldn't live that way and excuse it and justify it. Doesn't mean that a, a Christian couldn't do some horrible sin. And we have. And we've lied since we've been saved. And we've cursed maybe since we've been saved or whatever. But we repent. And we come back to the Lord. And I certainly wouldn't justify it and say, well, I was okay to do that. You understand the difference? Committing a sin as a Christian or walking in sin and even reasoning it away and justifying it to myself and maybe to others around me. Here's why it's okay that I did it. Here's why my sin's not like their sin. And so forth. Uh, I will say that uh, God can judge it and does judge it. God can handle it. He is the righteous judge of all the earth like we talked about in Sunday school. He's not confused. He's not confused. He's not ignorant. He's not deceived. Think about the Lord judging. He's not biased where He prefers this one over this one. He's, he knows all things and He judges all things and He knows all things and judges all things perfectly. Just imagine that. To know all things perfectly, that's God. Omniscient. And then to judge all things perfectly. The least little thing that we would think is a sin or a character flaw or whatever, He sees it perfectly. No clouds, no fluff around it. He just sees it perfectly. You know, with that description in Revelation where John's on the island of Patmos on the Lord's day and he sees the Lord and he says his eyes were like flames of fire, you know, and his voice like the sound of uh, waters and so forth. You just get the picture of God's eyes being able to see right into your heart and to pierce through all that. However good we might look on the outside to him, for him to really see. Well, he does see us in that way. He does see us in that way. He knows all things perfectly and He judges all things perfectly. Perfectly in His judgment. So when He speaks, when He judges, when He condemns, whatever it may be, it's always perfect. He's not partly fooled by a hypocrite. Okay? And David says, he goes, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. You are clear when you judge. He gets it right. And in Romans chapter 2, it says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. Romans 2.2, 2, we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. Now, the outward appearance, God's judgment is going to be righteous judgment. And that's how He tells us to judge. According to truth against them which commit such things. And so, we're not God. <clears throat> Don't claim to be God. But we're saved by the Lord, Right? And so since we were saved by the Lord and He's allowed us and made us partakers of His divine nature and the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Trinity, lives in us and indwells us and He's given us His living Word and He's given us the Holy Spirit, even though we're not God, we can, and then put a capital C-A-N, we can judge rightly. It is possible to do that. It's possible only as I myself am being under the authority of the Lord and being led by the Lord, and being spiritually mature, and being biblical, okay? And being hearing the voice of my shepherd. But it is possible to do all those things. It's possible to hear the voice of our shepherd. It's possible to be filled with the Spirit. It's possible to walk in the Spirit. It's possible to be biblical in how we decide and judge and determine things, right? It's possible. And so, 
a believer can discern, distinguish, and judge rightly. We can walk in the truth, etc. We, we can do these things. And so um, the Bible says the truth is in Christ Jesus, as it is in Christ Jesus. The spiritual man, and this is the key, this is not the carnal Christian. Carnal Christian doesn't have to be carnal, by the way. He can repent and even as a believer, and, and be set, set apart unto the Lord like He's called to be. But the spiritual man, and that would be the man yielded to God, growing in Christ, obedient to the faith, walking in the Spirit of God, quick to confess and repent when he sins, that would be the spiritual mature man. That man can judge rightly and not after the appearance. He can do it, and we must do it. This is a key scripture today as well. I want you to look in your Bibles. Um, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look at a couple of states. You can stay in 1 Corinthians after you read this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. But he that is spiritual does what? I think it's important that we see that because everybody says, don't judge, don't judge. Christians aren't to judge. But he that is spiritual judges all things. All things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. And so that's a spiritual man that doesn't judge according to the appearance, the external show, but he judges righteous judgment. He decides, he distinguishes, he chooses, he determines of God, not of God. Okay? Truth or error. True or false. You understand what I'm saying? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, or some other spirit because of Christ in us. I could not do that apart from the Lord. The natural man receiving not the things of the Spirit of God, right? It's impossible for him to. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But they are spiritually discerned. So we are to discern spiritually. He that is spiritual judges all things. That's what we just read. Now we don't invent our own standard of judgment. That's very important. We don't invent it based on CCBR uh, or, or based on this is the way the couriers have always done it. Okay, or this, you know what I mean? Or this is American or whatever. When it comes to spiritual things, we don't invent our own standard. We do not invent our own standard of judgment. God's Word is our standard. Put a period there. The Holy Spirit of truth is always in perfect line with the word of truth. So those two are working together. The Holy Spirit leading me into all truth according to the word of God. I don't invent my own standard of judgment. God's word is my standard. What would I say then? What would God say to all of us? Know his word and live by it. Allow the living word to judge it. All right. If someone's doctrine's right, the sermon, the music, whatever it may be, is it true or false? Is it biblical or is it twisted and perverted in some way? Too often Christians will say that they're biblical in their judgment, but actually they're allowing their own reasoning and their own emotions and their own personal preferences and their own pop what's popular. They take a vote, their own feelings. They're allowing these things to make their judgment or to sway their judgment or actually make the decision for them as instead of submitting to the Spirit of God and the Word of God which is, guess what, always right. I, I don't watch these shows. I can't really stand them, but these shows like, I know it's not on anymore, but Oprah and these other shows. And I'll tell you the view and different things like this. I've seen them like waiting in a doctor's office or something. I understand what it's all about. 
And basically, somebody can come in there and say something about whatever the topic, you know, President Trump or homosexuality, whatever. And it's almost like they're going to they're gonna make their decision based on how many people clap. You always know what they're going to clap for, too. It's the thing I wouldn't clap for, you know. It's a total opposite of what my view would be, okay. But still, it's like the fact that it's popular makes it right. But that's not what the Word of God says. We don't judge based on personal feelings, personal preferences. I like so-and-so more than I like so-and-so. So if there's a debate between the two or, or a controversy between the two, I'm going to go with the person I like more. What if they're wrong? I've been wrong plenty of times, and I pray you like me. But I pray we would judge each other and it, where, where it's needed in every circumstance, in every situation, rightly. If we would all do that, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be holy and wonderful and God would keep us safe and secure and our church healthy and strong and moving on without divisions if we would judge rightly? But too many people say they judge according to the Word of God and that they're Christian and hold up their Bible, but when they're really making a decision about something, they're being led by something besides the Word of God. What's popular, what makes them feel good, what makes them happy. I like this person better, so I'm going with them. Immature Christians often think that it's unloving to judge, right? They kind of mix those two together, the love and the judgment, that it's unloving to judge. Uh, and I would say this, there is an unlo unloving way to judge. That would be after your own self, out of your flesh, out of your feeling of superiority, or more, I'm more holy, or more godly, or whatever, and a judgment that way. There is an unloving way to judge. But God has called and has equipped, equipped His people, called and equipped His people to judge righteous judgment. He told us to. He told us to. He that's spiritual judges all things. A couple more passages we'll read. In 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 5. And you remember the in 1 Corinthians, we've talked about often the, the immaturity and the carnality that was taking place among these believers. And I do say among believers. They were Christians. By the time we get to 2 Corinthians, they had repented of many of these things. And God, I mean, Paul was actually commending them for doing it rightly. But at this point, they were not. So look what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 1-3. It is reported commonly that there be fornication among you. In the church, he's saying it's commonly. Everybody knows common knowledge. There's fornication going on in your church. It didn't just happen one time. It's going on in your church. Among you, and such fornication as is not so mentioned among the Gentiles. And one should have his father's wife. And you are, <coughs> puff, you are puffed up. This is how they were handling the fornication that was ongoing in their church. You're puffed up or prideful and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent, he wasn't present when this happened. He's writing a letter. Heard of, Paul heard about it. For I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit have judged already. So was he unloving? So aren't Christians not supposed to judge? Paul says, I've already judged it. I'm not even there. I haven't met either one. I don't like one more than the other or anything like that. What is he using as a standard? The Word of God. And he says, I'm not present with you, but I've judged already concerning him that had done this deed. All right, skip down to verse 6. Your glorying, remember they were puffed up, is not good. 
Know ye not that a little leaven, in this instance, I believe it's speaking of sin, it can also uh, speak of false doctrine. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so the, the point in this, and we're going to be bringing this to a close this morning, but the point in this passage is that among believers, and they were believers in Corinth, they were wrong in how they were handling this situation in their church. There was commonly known out in the open, reported that fornication was going on in their church. Specific people. They knew their names. Everybody knew about it. Okay? And I believe that according to the passage that the Corinthian believers, instead of dealing with it, they thought they were being very loving, very mature. Look how love is so perfected in us. We're so far advanced in love that we don't have to judge this. We're just going to love them. We're just going to love. Have you ever heard anything like that? Okay? We have to love everybody. We're to love our enemies. We're to love strangers. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to love. Absolutely. But that's not an expression of love. That is a perversion of God's love. To say, look how loving we are. We're going to let this go on and not deal with it and not judge it. Paul said, I've already judged it and I'm not even there. Okay? It's not love. Who was the more loving? Paul was the more loving. But the godly, Christ-like, mature love. Guess what? Because you get to 2 Corinthians. He told them the truth here. They did repent. The God repented. They're back in the church and everything was restored. Now it's how it should be. Because there was judgment put on it. Who was really the most loving? Those that kind of pretended like they didn't see and we're just going to love them to death. You know what I'm saying? We're just going to love them back in. Well, God is love. And He gives, gives us His Word on how to judge. And He tells us people, human beings, born again, judge righteous judgment. He that is spiritual judges all things. And so they thought they were being uh, just over the top with their love. And He says, you're puffed up. You don't love nearly like you think you did. Somebody just got saved yesterday could judge this thing. And, and he don't know anything about what, you know, nearly what you know, but he could judge it. You understand my point? We get so thinking we're so really far along in this walk with God and it's a deception. And we're puffed up and thinking that that's love. You want to show real love? You go to a brother and you talk to him about their sin. I'm not saying you aired out their dirt and laundry for everybody to see. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, when it talks in 6, 1, my brethren, if, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, if a Christian brother is overtaken in a sin, that's what they're overtaken in it. They're overwhelmed with it. Overcome by it. You that are spiritual, go to such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. And try to restore him. That's love. You might get punched in the face. You might get gossiped about yourself. You might get blackballed from your church because you did it. But which one really stepped out in love? Not the ones that say, let's go to the movie and barbecue, but the one that said, let me tell you the truth of what's going on in your life. God sent me here to tell you. Okay? He's judging it, but He's doing it in love. You that are spiritual were to do that, the Bible says. We're to do that. And so, uh, I'll just real quickly, you know the... the uh, this story in the Bible about in Acts chapter 5. We don't have time to read it. Maybe one day we'll do a whole lesson or sermon on this, but Ananias and Sapphira, 
Okay? The Bible doesn't say they were saved or lost, if you've ever thought about that. But let's put it this way. A lot of scholars that I've read would have said they believed that they were born again, that they were Christians, because they were part of that fellowship at a time when everybody wasn't just coming around and being part of the Christian church. All right? They were familiar. They knew what was going on in the church. Peter knew them. They knew Peter. It wasn't like they were strangers. But regardless, all right, regardless of it, Ananias and Sapphira came in at separate times at a time when people like Barnabas sold his possessions, his land, and gave it all to the Lord. They did it out of a free will offering from their hearts. Nobody told them to do it other than the Lord. Of the goodness and the generosity of their heart, they said, God, I'm going to give it all. This world's not my home. And they did that. Ananias and, and a lot of people were doing that. And they were giving it to people as they had need within the church. Well, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. And they came into the church and said, Peter, here, they, were, they came in separately. First comes in Ananias. And he says, here's, here's the price of the property. Now, Peter didn't ask for the money. As far as we know, God didn't tell him to do it. And he says, here's the full price of the property we sold. But he actually kept back a portion of it. So what is he doing? He's like those Pharisees. He wanted to appear a certain way within the context of the church, with Christianity and spiritual, to have been very spiritual and generous and godly. But he kept back part of it. That part the Lord knew. The Lord saw that part very clearly. Judged it rightly. Not a delay. He knew it all perfectly. And, and Peter says, why, have you, why are you tempting the Lord to, to lie against the Lord like this and kept back part of the price? He says, when it was your own property, wasn't it your power to do with it what you wanted? After you sold it, wasn't it in your power to do with what you wanted? You could give it 5%, 1%, none of it if you didn't want to. All of it. It was in your power. The sin was not that they kept back part. The sin was that they said they gave it all and they kept back part. They said it to the man of God. They said it in the house of God. And they said it in a spiritual sense, we've given it all. And, the, and, and Peter knew it. And this was supernatural. He would not have known it had God not shown it. They didn't have a receipt or anything like that. He knew it because the Lord showed it. Right? Supernatural revelation of God. And he says, you know, he, he pronounced the judgment. He didn't say, I'm going to kill you or anything like that. And he says, you've lied, you've sinned against the Holy Ghost and lied to the Holy Ghost. He didn't just lie to men. You lied against the Holy Ghost. When he spoke those words, Ananias dropped dead. Young men came in, carried him out, buried him. Wound him up and buried him. Three hours later, his wife comes in. Uh, Sapphira, did you sell the property for so much? Yes, for so much. It was the exact price that her husband had said. Why have you agreed together to tempt the Lord? Behold, they that bound, you know, carried your husband out, they're going to carry you out too. He didn't have to pronounce some like, I'm going to kill you kind of thing. The Lord dealt with them. Bam, she dropped dead. They carried her out and buried her with the husband. The Bible says a great fear fell, and I can imagine, a great fear fell upon those, listen, within the church first. We better straighten up if we were even thinking about doing something like that. Okay? God's a holy God. It reminded them. I'm not saying that those two people went to hell either. I don't know. Okay? But I'm simply saying he judged it. And it brought fear to the church and it brought fear to those outside the church. So much so that an unbeliever did not come join themselves to the church. 
That would go against all the seeker-friendly movements of today. But you know what? God wanted there to be a separation. We've talked about being holy and separating to God. This man can get saved and join this church, but I don't want a bunch of lost people coming in here and taking over with their spirit, thinking they're okay amongst the people that are set apart for God and washed in the blood of Jesus. So that fear caused a purity and a cleansing and, and uh, it was a good thing. The result was a good thing to keep God's people, God's people, and to help keep sin out of the church. Doesn't mean that, that nobody ever sinned again in church and so forth. But the point is, that, con- that is in the context of New Testament Christianity, right? It's not just some old judgment like God judging the Amalekites or something like that. This was within the context of New Test- Testament Christianity. And it was severe, but God obviously saw it as necessary. And he saw it necessary to put in the Bible so that we could read it. Okay? So that we could read it. And I want to close with this thought. Because having talked about... We we could probably do a lot of messages on this, but today I want to close with this thought. The person that I need, speaking of myself, that I need to judge the harshest and the most frequent is myself. I want to close with that so we not confuse when we leave here today. I should judge me. I should judge me. And just listen to the scripture. Write it down. I'm going to read it real quickly. But 1 Corinthians 11.31. 1 Corinthians 11.31. So last um, scripture probably given out today. And Paul says, For if we would judge ourselves, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And I believe he's simply saying what he's saying. If I would deal with myself honestly, most frequently and continually, and to be my harshest critic, not critic, but judge on myself, then God will take care of the other things. You understand? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to be judged and send somebody like, like uh, Peter to Ananias and Sapphira. If they had to judge themselves before they ever came into the church, Peter, God wouldn't have to use Peter to bring a judgment upon their lives if they had judged themselves first, right? We can say that about everything from when we're putting the remote on the TV and what we watch. If we would judge ourselves, then we should not be judged. doesn't mean God's not our judge or anything like that. It simply means, what I believe, what it means. That we would deal with ourselves. And so, we, you and I as believers, though we are commanded to judge... We're not appointed as the judge of everybody and everything to where it's like my calling. I'm the judge of, of Cornerstone, you know, or Katie's the judge of Cornerstone. And, and she just, her job is to judge every single person, every single action, everything we wear and everything we do. And that's not, that's, that's way out of whack. That's, if somebody has, and I don't know too, too many people like that, but if somebody was that way, that's not what we're talking about. You and I need to, as believers, we need to uh, take that responsibility of judging very seriously. We need to take it to the Lord in prayer for God's sake. And I would say this, I just jotted a few things in closing. If we're going to judge, which we are called to, okay, we must be humble, very humble. We must be spiritual. Ye that are spiritual, go to such one in the spirit of meekness. 
It says a lot right there. We must be a man or woman of prayer. You might add to my list, okay? We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of Truth. Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost when he was dealing with Ananias and Sapphira. I can promise you. We must be filled with the love and compassion of Christ that's speaking the truth in love. If somebody is overtaken in fornication or some sin to you that are spiritual, my heart's desire needs to be, God, let them repent. Amen. God, let them repent. Even if it's an enemy that I didn't like in the church. God, let them repent. Let them be restored to you, God. For your sake, for their sake. Okay? And, and I would say this, be sure that you've heard from the Lord. Not only did we discern what the sin is, and maybe in another person's life, or a doctrinal error in a sermon that was read, or a book that, I mean, preached, or a book that was read. Not only did we see the problem, but y'all, that we hear from the Lord knowing what to do about it. He might have you to pray and fast for a month. Just because you realize that error doesn't mean you need to pick up the phone that second. And sometimes you do. Okay? I'm saying we have to be a spiritual people. Not only to see a problem that needs judging and dealing with, but to hear from God how, who, when, where I'm to deal with it. And to be led by the Lord. And by all means, judge yourself first. Judge yourself. And that is the Scripture we open with and we're closing with. Judge not lest you be judged, but with what measure you judge, it will be measured unto you again. And it says, he called him a hypocrite because in that instance, in that passage, we're closing with this. He says, you see, I look over there at William, and I see that William's got some, some problem in his character, Christian character, a flaw or something. And I see it. And it's right. What I'm judging is right. He has that. And so I'm just going to go deal with William about that. And the Lord's saying, time out. I'm not telling you don't go. I'm telling you to do something before you do go. You got a big old thing that's ten times worse than what William's got in his life. And I want you to see it before you dare open your mouth to one of my children and tell him he's got this problem. Now, it doesn't mean it can't be dealt with. He's simply saying, no order. Thou hypocrite, first get the beam out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. It doesn't say don't ever go to him. It says do something first. Okay? Do something first. Get that out of your own life by confession, repentance, acknowledging it. God, I see it. Thank you for showing me. I've been all my life with this and I didn't really realize how gross and bad it was. I've been a spirit-filled Christian for 30 years and I got this in my life, God. Thank you for showing me that, Lord. Would you take it out of me? Would you work that out of me? Would you forgive me? I see it. I confess it to you. And the Lord's dealing with me. And he says, now I want you to go talk to, to so-and-so about that thing that you discerned in their life. You discerned it rightly. But now you're ready to go to them. Help them. Tell them what I brought you through. Tell them how I helped you. And what big things I got out of your life. Tell them I can do it for them. That's the way to judge. That is love. That is compassion. Love is not just ignoring it. Love is doing it, but doing it biblically and, and dealing with it. There's a right way to judge. There's a right time to judge. 
And it's according to God's Word. And I don't have any great stories or illustrations to give. I'm just going to end with that this morning. The altars are open. I think this is important for our church, y'all.